going on, everybody? Chris, back with the Wildlife Command Center podcast. Thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. On this episode, I'm going to talk about my first elk hunt back in Nevada in 2020. So a lot of people had, you know, some pretty gnarly years. But dude, I got to say, my 2020 was actually pretty rad. You know, I... uh Started a new location, like a new office for Wildlife Command Center. I had a great time doing it. I had made a lot of money, made some new friends, moved to an area, started flying a Jack Merlin for the first year in these new awesome hunting areas. And I was successful in taking my Nevada bull elk. It was awesome. So I'm going to go over that story here in the next little while. First, shout out to Wildlife Command Center and Wildlife Command Center Coffee. That is the stuff that I drink every single morning. And to be honest, I had a little bit (laughs) before recording this to give me a little bit of pop. And if you need any kind of nuisance wildlife resolution and you live in Kansas City, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, Reno, Nevada, Sacramento, California, or Pine Bluff, Arkansas, please give us a shout. Hit us up on our website, wildlifecommandcenter.com. And also go check out any of our awesome content on YouTube, where we've got a bunch of great videos, as well as TikTok, Wildlife Command Center, myself, at Lone Star, with two R's, Trapper, or Bare Hands Baran. That's Michael's TikTok. We're putting a lot of <laughs> eggs in that basket recently because it's trending. Like it's They're putting our videos in front of the eyeballs of people. They like our stuff. I mean, because people like our stuff. You know, people like to see little animals. And if you do, go check us out there. So let's get into the meat and I would say potatoes because that's like how the phrase goes, but I'm a lot more of a rice guy myself now. It's a great starch, you know, it's a healthier starch than potatoes, (laughs) but it's all better than bread. Let me tell you, let's get this bread more like, let's get this rice. Am I right? (laughs) In the first draw of Nevada, Nevada's big game draw in 2020, I did not draw anything. Totally reasonable it was my first year. Like, why? It was my first year applying. I I don't deserve it. I didn't really, you know, I didn't deserve to draw anything. You know what I mean? So, big goose egg. And so I'm like, oh, well, no biggie. You know, maybe I'll go hunt somewhere else. I'll go to like Colorado. And that was my plan, just to go throw my ring in the hat. Right? Isn't that the phrase? I'm out here throwing these rings, you know what I'm saying? Sonic style. So, I didn't draw anything. I'll go figure it out in Colorado. I'm just going to go beat the brush, you know, beat feet up in the mountains and figure it out and make it happen. And then I wake up from a nap in the middle of July and I get this email from the Nevada Department of Wildlife. And it says, congratulations, you've been selected as an alternate. Somebody turned in their archery elk tag for the unit that I had selected as one of my, you know, many. Yes, I could not believe it. I called my buddy Lou Souter and who kind of got me into, he invited me on my first elk hunt ever in 2019. It was his son's friend's tag and it was just a blast. I didn't get to see an elk get harvested even though one was later while I was there, but it was still so much fun. I got to get close to the animals about 200 yards around two gigantic bulls. It was, (laughs) it was amazing. So 
when I got drawn for that exact same unit, I was absolutely stoked because, you know, I have like a starting point. I've got a launching pad. I at least have been to the area and I have seen some animals in there. And so I kind of know at least where to begin. So I make a trip out. My tag starts so dumb. I will, I gotta say, thankfully they changed their hunting dates this year. Praise God, because, or last year, technically it was their first year changing them. Starting on August 16th is the absolute worst. It is so hot. And like half the reason that you want to archery hunt elk to start is non-existent because they're not bugling. They're not in the rut. That is like really, really pre-rut. Most, a lot of the animals still had velvet on their antlers, which is cool. I would love to take an elk in velvet and maybe I will someday, but you know, I wanted to get to some bugling action. So I go out there on a scouting mission. I'm so green though. Like now I've hunted four times. Back then I had only hunted once up until this point. Now I've been on four separate elk hunts. And you learn a lot in four hunts, I'll tell you what. So I went out there on a scouting mission and I was probably doing a lot of things wrong. What What was it supposed to be? I think it was just like a morning and... Yeah, yeah. It was an afternoon of the day that I show up and the morning of the day that I show up. Scouting mission. Because I'll get in and then, you know, it was only, I think like a six-hour drive total and that's four hours highway, one hour dirt road to the mountain and then an hour up the mountain in the truck, you know, to get to the camping spot that I had been to. So brought the dog, brought the boy, go ten. The mighty, the Lord of all Deckers. That's my boy. So I brought him up there just because it was scouting. We're not going to go, you know, there's no hunting involved. We're not going to go bump any animals. Although we did talk about that in a few. So I get parked. Don't go all the way to the site. I go to this one ridge that you can access with your vehicle and you can peer over across the canyon and see elk. Rookie mistake. I know now. It's almost impossible to glass into the sun damn near impossible. All the dust and stuff, you know, just Nevada's dusty. (laughs) It's dusty up there. I could not see a dang thing. And not to mention, there was a thunderstorm on my way up the mountain. I recorded a great little video (laughs) because it certainly felt like it. You guys remember when, what's the name? Nesbitt? Or, uh, you know, the big fat guy in Jurassic Park who gets eaten by the Dilophosaur when he's driving down that road in the hurricane. So I, I recreated that scene because that's basically what driving up the mountain is like. like super bumpy, like the truck's moving all over the place because you're barely, you know, you're going like 0.5 miles an hour up this thing. And it was raining and I had like a, a 90s windbreaker rain jacket. So I got my glasses wet and I recreated that video, wiping my glasses off, looking all crazy. <laughs> it was great. So by the time I got up to the peak, the rain had stopped. But then the sun was out, and I guess that's so it wasn't that dusty. But you just can't look, you can't glass into the sun. It's just impossible. You can't see a dang thing. So, rookie mistake. I completely wasted that whole evening, didn't see a thing. <laughs> I could have gone to other areas and had better views of elk. Now, I know that unit like the back of my hand. Not really. I know like five square miles of the unit. That's it, if I'm being honest. There's so much more. There's a whole wilderness area I haven't even touched, but I'm definitely going to 
probably not on a bull tag anytime soon, but it's looking like, so I didn't draw this year, as you know, if you listen to the pod, but next year I probably will draw an archery cow tag because this unit is relatively easy to draw if you're a Nevada resident like I am, and nobody wants to hunt cow elk in like August with a bow. But this guy will, if I can go back to that unit. I freaking love that place, man. So, go back to camp, sleep in the truck. Then I wake up the next morning and I start a glassing. Glassing, 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 glassing. I'm so much better at glassing now, it's bananas. I didn't see anything. And I remember now, when on my very first elk hunt the year prior, I never once spotted an elk first. But now, I'm pretty, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm okay at it. I'm, I'm decent. I can get by, you know? So I'm glassing, I'm glassing, just glassing, just glassing. A couple hours go by, or probably an hour, where I have a commanding view of probably like 200, 210 degrees, right? It's this nice spit out in the middle. Like it jets out and you have a really nice view of this giant valley that wraps around your glassing knob that you're on. Don't see crap. So I drive all the way back to the knob to like the top of the canyon that I was glassing over to the day before. So I drive to the bottom of that and then I climb up to the top, look around, look around, look around, and I don't see, I still don't see anything. But again, take this for a grain with a grain of salt. I'm a garbage can at glassing at this point, two years ago, three elk hunts ago. So I don't find a freaking thing, not a thing. Go up to the top, take a little nap with Goten. <laughs> I get woken up by a deer spooking. He probably climbed up to us because like as I was falling asleep, Goten kind of took the watch, right? So that was kind of funny to uh, just <laughs> hear it, like doing that little wheeze that they do, that little snort wheeze. And eh, not technically a snort wheeze, but it, it's, it's snorty and also wheezy, you know? But uh, the typical snort wheeze is something else, but it was awesome. Just alarm calling, alarm calling us. That was pretty hilarious. Found some elk droppings, very old, a lot of deer, and I think some sheep, Domestic sheep, I know, not that exciting, but they graze sheep in that area. Bit of a bummer, so the elk are forced high up onto the slopes to get forage. So anyway, I leave that glassing excursion. Yeah, that scouting trip, that's the phrase I was looking for. That scouting trip, seeing no elk. I'm a little discouraged. Yeah. So, and then like I think it was like two or three weeks later was the actual season, right? So I get everything all set up, get all my stuff squared away, and I get out there. I think I get out there two days before. I think on the third day before the season, because I, I pulled in late at night. Looking back, not great, but there's a reason I did that, which I'll touch on in a few. So I pull in with two full days, the night of the third back day, technically, to scout and I climb up this mountain in the truck. Jeep, it's Jeep stuff. You Jeep guys will get it. Get to a good spot, sleep. Oh, I think that was my first night. Yeah, it was sleeping outside by myself in the middle of nowhere, no humans around. 
middle of the mountains of Nevada. That was interesting. I was right next to the truck, but I didn't have my sidearm on, on me. Now there's not really a bear population there. Like there are bears there. There's just not that many of them. It's the middle of nowhere in Nevada, basically. All the bears are over by the California side. That's where like most of the bears are. So I wasn't too spooked, but that was definitely interesting. Sleeping under the stars for the first time ever. Crazy amount of shooting stars. You guys have no idea how many that are out there. Unless you've been to the middle of nowhere where there's no light pollution and looked up at the stars, you can see the Milky Way and everything and spent some time staring at it. It is bananas. Like a lot of shooting stars. Yeah, tons of them. And a lot of bugs lot of bugs. That was not cool. <laughs> so on this mission, I am on the completely opposite side of the unit than where I was on the scouting mission two or three weeks before. Because this is where my buddy, my buddy's buddy's buddy, my 3X buddy, took his bowl the year before. And so he's like, all right. So they kind of, you know, they kind of come out here and this and that. And, and he kind of explained to me how the lowdown on where these bulls were. So I take about, I got up too late. Should have been uh, heading to the glassing point a little earlier than I did. But it's super cool. I mean, just hiking those peaks, there's just nothing like it. It's freaking awesome to go down and scan because they had told me that they would cross over the road and then eat on the other side of the unit or where the unit stops and it becomes another unit and on private land, private farmland. Also, bit of a bummer. But I found them. I found four gigantic bulls, 330 minimums, probably 350s. I mean, these things were huge. It's Nevada. If a bull's mature, it's gigantic. And they're just eating grass, just going to town on this, uh, you know, this like little river flat of grass where there's like cows on this other side and they're where there aren't any cows. And they're just going to town. It's pretty awesome. At least to see them. So then I spend the morning watching them. They go to bed in like the trees and stuff like that. And from there, I think I ate lunch. This part of the story isn't super exciting. So I'll kind of skim through it. And so then I get in touch with the guys and I'm like, okay, so I never saw any elk moving back and forth from private to public. So I kind of got an idea, got more info from them on where they would be doing it. The next day I wake up, same thing. Our elk are already on private. I'm scanning, glassing. I keep calling it scanning because I technically you are scanning, but I'm glassing. I'm on the glassing now before there's light enough to like see any decent distance. And once I do... They're already there. They're again already on the private land. I'm like, dude, did they just stay there? They have to stay there. So then I make my way down and I figure out with more information from my buddies where they were crossing over. From there, I go up this way. It's like a, there's a road that goes through the private that's, you're allowed to go on. You know, there's just one of those little public land gates where the wire, you know, there's a little wire thing that you pull off of the gate and you go through there. So I open that up, shut it behind myself and then drive all the way, probably a mile up this little small hilly area to the public land. So then from there, 
I made my way through the private over to the public section, about a mile walk, kind of slow rolling hills, like right up to kind of the foot of the mountains. It was kind of crazy. It's, it's like what you kind of think of how mountains start, even though it's never how they actually start, where it's like, yeah, it's like flat, and then it's like baby hilly, and then big hilly. It's almost never like that. It's like a very gradual descent of baby hills, medium hills, big hills, even bigger hills, mountains, you know? But this one was like baby hills, mountains. It's kind of interesting. Like you walked like right into it, you know, it started getting into like Aspen Grovey and then you got right up to like the feet of the mountain. It was pretty crazy. Anyway, so I cross another or like I come up to another one of those public land gates, basically the back end, like where the private stopped. And then I see, you know, the little, the wire thing that you take off and, and then reclose behind you. And there are big bull tracks everywhere and the cool thing is it's like super obvious where you can see them literally it's rutted in where they're very clearly jumping over the fence i'm like dude this is that spot that my buddy was talking about this is it right here and then i follow the tracks up and then into that aspen grove i'm like oh my gosh bro this is so cool So I go all the way back and I get my truck and I pull through, you know, because it's a road and I and I drive up through those gates, you know, open and shut the gate behind myself and I pull into that aspen grove, which was pretty cool. I found this cool little clearing. I'm like, dude, nice. I'm gonna park right here. And so I'm like getting comfortable. I'm starting to like get my stuff set up. And then I go back to the gate, follow the tracks back. And I'm following them, I'm going to follow them, I'm going to follow them. And they literally take the road that I was driving on and I parked right off of. And I'm like, shoot, man, if I camp and park right here, there's no way that they're going to actually come through here. And I'm going to disrupt their pattern, possibly ruin the stock. So I got a little bummed out because I found a perfect camping spot, super shaded. There's water for me to access and the elk were coming through there, but it was, <laughs> it was too good to be true, you know, and there was nowhere from there for me to pull off the trail and park. It was just that road and it kind of led into the mountains. And of course, the easiest way the elk were using the same thing. So I'm like, shoot, well, that is ruined. So can't park there. And so I repacked my stuff, took a few videos because it was cool, repacked my stuff, drove back out, and I'm just like, dude, what do I do, man? I think I had one more day at this point. Oh, I, I camped a little bit north. That's right. I drove a little north, and there was some like legit campsites, like campsites, you know, that Department of Wildlife set up for you. So I, I camped there for the night, got up super, super early, watched that crossing, And that initial place where I kept seeing those bulls, just, again, I cannot iterate enough, just giants, just absolute giants, but not in my unit and on private land. So, you know, just not doable. So that next morning, I'm watching that area where I've been told that they cross from. And I mean, I'm there, I'm there well before daybreak. 
well before there's any light, which is when they should be crossing. That's what my buddy said. And so I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And, you know, I sit there for maybe an hour till it's a decent amount of time after sunrise. And I'm like, dude, I haven't seen Jack, right? So I drive back down a little ways to where I've been seeing those bulls. All still there. I'm like, dude. So why would they leave? They have good feed. They have water. There's a creek running, or not even a creek, like a small river. Hella water. Privacy, basically. It's private land. Like nobody messes with them. And almost nobody goes down that road. So they're like not even spooked, right? Bananas. So this is on the far opposite side of the unit from where I've been in the past, where I've been at my other buddy's hunt the year prior. So I'm like, okay, why don't I just go? Let's just, this is not happening. You know, I have experience on the other side of the unit. Let's just go back there. So I make the couple hour drive back to town, resupply a little bit, and then make the couple hour drive back all the way around to the completely opposite side of the unit, basically, where I have been before. Make my way up the mountain over to the campsite and I get set up um, where my friend who has the muzzleloader tag that starts right after my tag ends. He had a muzzleloader cow tag and I had the archery bull. He's going to be camped over there. So I kind of make my way over there and then I, I get all my stuff set up and then I head over to this one glassing spot that's kind of like back along the road that I came in on that is on this, it's on a big open spit, this big top of the hillside. And if you look across the canyon, there's elk over there. Tell you what, yeah, Nevada's pretty sweet. <laughs> you can glass from your truck, basically. Not the worst place in the world to hunt. Don't come here. It's hard to draw. <laughs> I was just lucky. But again, this is evening. This is the day before opening day. And remember, like I said, while I was scouting, it is dang near difficult to find animals looking into the sun. But, 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 I totally do. I totally see a few, a few elk. So I'm like, sweet, man. Tomorrow, I'm coming here. I got this. I'm going to freaking score one on opening day. This is so funny, man. Now that, <laughs> now that it's crazy how much I didn't know and how much I've learned on just three of my own personal elk hunts. And this was, you know, what I'm describing is the first out of those three. Amazing. So I can't believe like I had naive determination, basically. Don't know. So, all right. So, here we go. Opening morning. Dun, dun, dun. It's here. Opening morning on my Nevada 2020 archery bull tag. Whew. Oh, I was spiced up, baby. I was ready to go. So, I get up early. I head over to the glassing spot, put my binos up. And after, you know, 20, 30 minutes, I start seeing them. Like, all right, exactly where they were last night. Let's freaking make this happen. 
Oh, also uh, a hilarious thing for everybody who's uh, whitetail hunters, right? You know how you descent everything like that's super, super important. You have to make sure that you descent all of your clothes, right? So that the deer can't smell you. That has zero bearing with elk. You know why? Because you are so soaked with sweat while hunting them. It's not even a factor. So I had I spent like an absurdly large amount of time descending my clothes to make sure the elk don't smell them. You just have to play the wind because we're so stinky and to the degree that of how strong an elk's nose is, we cannot even fathom. I'm sure really intelligent people can be like, it's 427 times stronger than human. Anyway, they live and die by their noses. Like they have poor eyesight, okay hearing, it's better than ours, but their main sense that they interact with all of the rest of life on a daily basis is their nose, it's through smell. So you just have to play the wind. Anyway, I'm at that glassing spot where I can view the other side of the canyon. I'm like, all right, dude, I have multiple bulls, multiple bulls out there feeding. This is sweet. So I start to make my way down the canyon. I'm like, all right, let's do this. I got like my little day pack on. I got my bow, got my arrows, got my freaking, you know, I got my range finder. <laughs> I've got it all. I'm ready. <laughs> I had so little water and food, so little water and food. So I make my way down and they're kind of feeding on this slightly north facing slope, right? In an aspen grove that has openings where the grass can grow and they're feeding in and out of that stuff. So I make my way down my canyon on a little bit of a drainage where it cuts the line of sight off from them of me. And the wind is coming north to south through the canyon. So I should be good. Now, this is very early in the morning. And something, if you don't know, wind switches in the mountains. Once the hillsides start to heat up, the wind in the morning and at night is going down because the cooler air is falling. And so it pulls send, pulls the wind down the hillsides. And in the morning, once it heats up, anywhere from like 8 to 10, the air starts pushing up the hill, unless you've got some crazy overarching wind, right? That's just the general path that the winds take in the mountains. Uphill during the day, downhill at night. A good kind of benchmark to think about it. So I make my way down my canyon, down my hillside, down into the bottom, crazy thick because there's a river running through it or a creek, you know, just a drainage. So thick, so dang thick. I'm like, I'm losing arrows <laughs> and I'm <laughs> making my way up the backside. So like they're on the north facing side and I go up the south facing side, backside of the hill and I'm going to pop over and then I'll find them. So dumb. Well, we're in the northern hemisphere so the sun is on that side. So once I get into the bottom of this creek and start heading up that hillside, the sun is right on me. So I begin to just, and I'm walking uphill, carrying my pack and my bow and water. So I just start sweating like crazy. I'm in the mountains and I'm hiking up a hill and it's not easy. So 
I'm I'm just like coated in sweat. So all of that scent be gone, bull crap is right out the window, right? So I'm making my way up and up and up and up and uh, kind of slowly, right? Doing my best. It's like because it's it's Nevada and it's very, very dry in some areas. This area is super wet. It gets actually a decent amount of rain, but this is still a south-facing slope. It's like baked. There's like no brush. All the trees are on the other side, the north face. Always the harder faces because they're more jagged. They get more water. And so they're in the water stays on them more. And so it's usually steeper. And so like the North face, it's like the harder faces in life. That's where they get the name anyway. So I'm making my way up the South face and I finally kind of get to the top. Well, what did I tell you about those winds? They start to rise once the heat hits them. Well, the heat was hitting in the about hour and a half trek it took me to get down my hillside and back up that hillside where the opposite of where the elk were. So I get to the top of this thing and I'm like peeking over. I'm like, okay, now where are the elk? And in my naive dumbness, I forgot and just did not realize the wind is completely at my back. And it blew all my scent down that hill into the grove. And I just hear massive crashing and thrashing of branches. And what that means is they smelled me and they're out of there. All they need is a slight whiff, a slight whiff. And apparently I was plenty stanky because they just, they were gone. Every bull that was in that grove was gone. I didn't, I didn't see them because it was kind of connected with a few other hillsides, so they were able to maneuver through the trees without being spotted. There goes my first stock. I had blown my first stock on elk ever. So, yeah, that was a bit of a bummer. And I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? Now, there was an absolute giant so big that I had was able to see how big he was, even with my little baby binoculars. Everything that was in that grove, I couldn't quite tell. I could tell that they were bulls. I knew that they had antlers, but I think they were like all younger five points. So like four and five-year-old bulls, right? But a different one that I saw a couple drainages over he was like a big mature bull. And so here in late August, those mature bulls peel off from those younger bulls because their testosterone is pumping like crazy. They just want to be left alone. They don't want to mess with other elk. They don't want any interaction. They just want to finish their antler growth and start and get the velvet off and start strengthening their neck because they're the ones that are going to be running the herds here in a few weeks. So I saw a solo dolo, bolo, boilo, a few drainages over along that same face though, right? Okay, so I'm like, okay, what I could do, you know, it's like, it's like nine or 10 o'clock. I'm like, okay, so what I could do is go up the top of this hill, hook over and then down and then hunt that bull in the evening. And so I was already like, I was already pretty beat. You know, I, <laughs> I, tra- I trained, quote unquote, really hard 
for this. All I did was running. I did like no hill work. And that was a humongous mistake that I learned from later. Yeah, we'll touch on that here in a bit. So I made my way up the top of that slope. Also use freaking walking poles. Don't be, don't think that they're for sissies. Get trekking sticks. Like get trekking poles, man. They're totally worth it. They're just hundred percent worth it. It's not worth like, I don't need no poles. Just get the poles. You can go farther and you could hunt longer. And if you get the bull, that's what matters. Not how cool you look without poles. Get the poles. I didn't have poles. I just didn't know. It wasn't like me, my bravado. Maybe it was. I don't know. It's been a few years now. <laughs> Maybe it was like, I'm tough, idiot. <laughs> so I make my way up. By the time I get to the top of this very spiny hill, very jagged, very rugged. And by the time I get to the top, it's about noon. And I am dead. I'm very tired. And so I hang out beneath some trees. I eat my little snacks. I brought so little food. I'm so dumb. And no electrolytes, by the way. That'll come into play later. Plenty of water, but hardly any electrolytes. So I get up there and I chill out beneath some trees. You know, it's like noonish. I got a little bit of cell service. So I was able to check the uh, the events of the UFC card that had just uh, went on that night. My season started Sunday, which is really weird because most of them start on Saturday. So I don't know. It was it was it was weird. So I get up there, check my phone, text some folks, and then take a little bit of a nap. I see some grouse. That was kind of cool. Sooty? No, dusky blue grouse, some dusky grouse. And then I make my way over about a mile-ish to the top of the draw, the drainage, where I saw that giant earlier that morning. And so what they'll do is they'll go out and feed, you know, and then they'll tuck into some tall timber, dark pines, sleep there because it's cooler, it's nice and shaded. And then they'll come back out and feed in the evening. So I just kind of wait there for a few hours. And then once it starts, once the sun dips behind the tall hill, because of how jagged and steep this mountain was, by the time it's like three o'clock, the rest of the drainage like down below me is shaded. So it's going to start cooling off rapidly. So I start making my way down slowly and trepidatiously. I think that's a that's a good word. I'm going to use it. And very loudly. And what I don't think about again is the wind. It's going down. It's at my back. I remember a few times I felt it on my neck. And I'm like, ugh. And like being super loud while going down and like trying to make my way through this area. Ran out of water at one point. That was sick. Super cool. Kind of scary. Because my truck is like two miles away through very, very steep hills. Not the best time. You're not going to have a good time. (laughs) At one point, I had to pause my stock slowly down that hill to find a spring, which I did, which wasn't too far away, which is nice, and kind of side hill it over to the spring to refill my water bladder. 
didn't clean it. I didn't filter it. I didn't have a filter. I'm an idiot. <laughs> All I had, I, I brought a bunch of jugs of water. Those are in my truck on the other side of the mountain. Super intelligent. Yeah, now I have a water filter. So I just drank. I'm like, screw it. I just, I found the legitimate origin of the seep, like where, right where it was coming out of the hillside. And I just drank it from that little dirty. And so I just drank it right out of there. I filled the hell out of my actual stomach and then filled my bladder. Hey, but what did I say before that I didn't have? Electrolytes. I've already eaten my food and I've already reworked myself continually coming over to this drainage and then working my way down. Now, it, there's, it's definitely not as calorie intensive going down a hill as up, but it still very much is when you're purposefully going slow, like you have to fight against gravity. Like most of the time when you're not trying to stalk an animal, going downhill, you can, you know, move downhill pretty fast and let gravity do most of the work. But when you're trying to be quiet and you're working against gravity, it's almost as difficult as going uphill. So I am burning these calories. Ugh, and I just did not train hills at all. I did not train that deep of a flexion of my knee, quads, hamstrings, and calves. It was... It was brutal. So I'm making my way down this hill and eventually I hit a point where I think I am a couple hundred yards above where I saw that bull before. And so I park it there and I'm chilling and I'm just kind of getting ready, burning some time before when I think that elk is going to come back out around six or seven and then feed into the, into the night, you know, and uh, something that was really, really cool. I hear this And I'm like, what is that? And then I, because it was coming from the air, it sounds like a jet. And I look up and I'm not kidding you. A peregrine falcon just bombs down this drainage at crazy speeds. So like the stuff that you see in the nature documentaries, like he hunts from the skyscrapers and da, da, da. Well, this is where they were meant to do that. They're mountain dwellers they are like are there yeah they live in a whole bunch of different environments but like peregrines are truly at home in the mountains they use thermals to get high high up and then they go and they land on the top of these mountains and then they bomb these drainages flying very very fast not that high above the trees to find jays and like woodpeckers and other birds that are flying like over the trees basically over the tree line and they're just coming so fast so quickly that the birds have no chance to react and they just get smoked, you know, a few last minute adjustments by the peregrine and they just get absolutely demolished and then taken up and eaten. It was incredible. I mean, this whole interaction was maybe a second to a second and a half of actual visual of the falcon, but it was enough that I could tell that it wasn't a prairie. Prairies don't really hunt this way in the mountains. And I, I could see that it was too dark. It was a peregrine. It was freaking amazing. You know, probably two and a half to three seconds of sound and then about a second to a second and a half of visual. It was amazing. Totally made this day worth it for what I'm about to tell you that I go through after. So that was amazing. I'm like, okay, it's about time those bulls start to come out when I was glassing them up. 
So I slowly make my way down to where we saw them, myself and my friends, the year before, and we got a success. uh, The stock was successful. The shot was not. Anyway, two missed shots. Not great. So I kind of make my way down and it's really cool hunting the same areas multiple years in a row because I got to go to the exact same place the year before I had sat and watched my buddy put a stock on two absolute gigantic Nevada bull elk. And I was like, sweet, dude, this is exactly where he was. And so I'm like looking around, I'm looking around, I'm looking around, and I'm not really, I'm not seeing anything. I drop my pack and make my way down a little bit slower and painstakingly because I'm like, okay, if that elk, those elk didn't die, they're creatures of habit, they're going to come back here. It's about the same time as it was the year before. Looking and I'm looking and I'm looking and I just don't see anything. I I don't see anything. I'm like, where's this bull dude? And I didn't hear myself like bust him out. Like I didn't hear him smell me. Although a few times the wind did go, like it did switch and hit my neck. And I'm like, shit, 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 shit. Oh, you know, and got all spooked. And and so like probably two hours goes by and I see not a thing, not a single, nothing, no, no bulls. And I'm like, what the hell? This I'm getting all pissed off, you know, because I'm just a young dummy of an okay amount of control over my emotions, but it's it's not the best. So I uh, head back up almost straight up a couple hundred yards, maybe half a mile even, sheesh, to go grab my pack. I am so tired at this point. And it's maybe seven maybe seven coming up on eight. So I throw my pack on my back and I got my bow and I'm pissed and I didn't see shia, not a thing. So I'm just making my way down. And the further and further down you get on these drainages, it gets thicker and thicker because more and more water is accumulating to feed more and more plants. And so it's getting thicker and thicker and more and more difficult to push through this area. And I'm like tripping. I'm like banging my bow. There's like arrows falling out of my freaking quiver. And now I'm like in tall trees, like forest forest, not like beautiful Aspen Grove where the elk like to frolic. No, it's like thick, jungly crap, right? And I'm like making my way and I'm just pissed. And I hear this like, weird sound over to my right like mm. like what the hell was that that was not an elk and i look down at this downed log and there's a big pile of droppings on it okay so for those of you that don't know uh bears do not poop on large like downed trees Wolves might. There's no wolves in this area. Coyotes, maybe. It was too big to be a coyote. Raccoons do. It's too big to be a raccoon. So what does that kind of leave? A few of you have already connected the dots. That was probably a mountain lion. 
And I'm like, okay. I didn't quite connect that dot. I'm like, this stupid bear. <laughs> but like, after going back and, and telling some of my buddies, they were like, oh, oh, it was on, it was on a downed log. Yeah, it was probably a mountain lion. I'm like, oh my gosh, it was a freaking cat. He was watching me, and maybe a mama or something. Don't know. I never saw it. I just heard it, and I saw the droppings. And I was like, okay, I'm going to keep moving because it's getting dark and I don't have a gun, just this bow that I'm like, okay, using, right? (laughs) So I'm making my way further and further and I'm making my way over back to that same drainage, you know, the ditch, the creek and at the bottom of the hill and it's getting like, it's dark, dark. So I'm like, all right, you know, I've, I think I've lost two or three arrows at this point. And I just, I have no idea when they fell out. So big bummer, expensive arrows with really expensive, nice broadheads. Yeah. (laughs) Thankfully I had extra, right? So I make my way to the creek. I get to the other side of the creek. And something that I did not realize was that first hill I went down was steep. My hill, the hill that I parked on. Yeah, because so when I went down it 12, 14 hours ago, I was all jacked up on Mountain Dew and adrenaline. Not really Mountain Dew, but you know what I mean. I was all jacked up. It's like, yeah, elk, it's opening day. Let's freaking go. Make some day. You know what I'm talking about? Gonna kill an elk. I was all stoked and ready to go freaking murder my first giant deer. And I'm getting back to this point. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to get to the top of this thing. I have a headlamp, you know, it's, it's okay, but it, wait a minute. I don't think I had a headlamp. Oh, that's right. I didn't. The freaking idiot that I was. So I have no hiking sticks. I'm running out of arrows and I literally just have my phone. Yeah. And z- zero electrolytes in my body. I ran out of water by the time that I got to the bottom of the creek. And I know for a fact that there are beavers in this drainage because last year while hunting this same area, I saw evidence of beavers. And so I'm like up, up the creek. And so obviously down the creek where the water flows, I know that Giardia, Giardia, that's it. That's the beaver bug. I knew that there was going to be Giardia in that water and that I shouldn't drink it. So I'm like, I, I can't, I can't drink this. I just have to get to the top and I don't have a water filter because I'm a freaking stupid new elk hunter. So I'm like, all right, I'm at the bottom of this hill. My truck is at the top. I don't have the phone that has like <laughs> the amount of vertical that I had climbed in that day. It was probably nothing that I would be impressed with now based on the hunts that I've done. Yeah, especially in Colorado. Like I've been through some shite in Colorado now. Multiple couple thousand feet days. And that's still nothing compared to like the grand scheme of what actual elk hunters do. I'm just a little baby elk hunter. (laughs) Barely into this journey of mine. So I start trudging up this hill by the light of my phone with no trekking poles, like so trekking poles basically makes you four wheel drive right and i'm strictly in two wheel and i am freaking exhausted i think it took me 
three hours to get up this hill. And uh, it was still to this day the most arduous, the worst pain, the most output I have ever done in physical difficulty ever in my life. It was getting up this hill. And still to this day, I will be in like hard workouts or long runs. I'm about to go do a run right now. An easy one with the dogs. <laughs> Nothing's difficult. Probably just a four miler. It is still to this day what stands out in my mind. Chris, it's not even close to as bad as that hill. The hill. It's crazy because like looking back, you wouldn't even think it was a mountain, but it was the shape or lack thereof, and the physical shape that my body was in that day, as in I had already put out so much expenditure and I had so few sugar in my blood. I had nothing in my blood. And I, it was everything that it took to get me up that hill. It was insane. At some point, maybe three quarters of the way up, and it was just sage, Right, because it was west facing, so not as bad as a south facing slope, um, <laughs> but it kept enough moisture to make it difficult to get through this freaking sagebrush. Yeah, but thank God for that sagebrush because it gave me handholds sometimes to pull. Because by the end of it, my legs were hardly working. But like I was about to say, about three quarters of the way up, it got to the point where I would grab a bush, take one step, take two steps. And then stop. <sighs> Take a break. Take a break. About 10 seconds. Okay. Two more steps. Grab a bush. One, two. I had so little energy in my body going up this hill. It was crazy. And like at different points, I think I had a little bit of moon to navigate with in the light of my freaking phone. I finally, like, I would get to a point, it's like, okay, <laughs> I think two separate times, I got to a point that I thought was the top that was not the top. And it was so demoralizing. Like, I'd be like, okay, yes, there it is. Because it would like roll over. I would see like a roll in the hill. And because it was so dark, you can't tell. I'm like, okay, I think that's it. You can just kind of see where the sagebrush stops. I'm like, that's it. Okay. And I get to the top and like, but there's more. Oh my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? <laughs> and so I finally got to the road, right? And I had to continue to the right up to the top of the road because obviously to get to the best classic point, you take your truck to the highest spot. And I finally got to this road. I'm like, my God. And I look over and, you know, I could shine with my phone light and I see, thank God for my super reflective, crazy eye-catching, bright, covered with animals truck, you know, in the taillights. And when I tell you, I have never been happier to see a reflection in my life. I am not exaggerating. When I saw the red flash, like the red shine of those taillights, it could have been like up until this point seeing my firstborn child. It was so incredible. Like 
my God, there's my truck. It's right there. There is the end of my suffering and toil. I just have one more hill. (laughs) I just have one more hill to make it up. So, (sighs) step, step. Now, fortunately, it's a little more gradual, right? And it's a, you know, a mountain road. It's a two track. So it's a little easier, but I finally make it up to my truck and I drop my pack and I drop my bow and I fall to the ground with my back against the truck. And I was like Frodo and Sam after they had finally dropped the ring in Mount Doom. It's over. It's done. Like I got to my truck. Now, some of you who have been on arduous hunts or done crazy things might be thinking, wait a minute, Chris, isn't this just the first day? (laughs) You would be right. This is literally day one. Day one. The first day of my own elk hunt ever in my life was the hardest physical day of my life. So we're off to a great start. (laughs) So I get into my truck and I got into my driver's seat. And then for the literal next whole hour, my legs are rhythmically cramping. Um, And it was one of the most painful experiences I've ever been through in my life. So what I mean by rhythmically cramping is so my quads would cramp and lock up and I would pull my leg back to stretch my quad to open up the cramp. And then my hamstrings would cramp because now I'm pulling them in and they're able to lock up. And I'm like, ah, and I would stretch it back out to loosen the hamstrings. And then my quads would cramp up. For the next hour, this happened until the banana that I ate and the water that I had and I was drinking at my truck finally took hold and was able to ease some of the suffering. It was uh, truly a life-altering experience, a life-altering amount of suffering in going up that hill and pain in the truck afterwards. I mean, it was very painful coming up the hill as far as (laughs) the energy expenditure, but the pain that was happening afterwards was truly incredible. Like, man, I mean, Doc asked you uh, at a scale of 10, it was a nine. It was, I've never been stabbed. I've never been shot. I've never had a baby. So to that point, it was my 10, but it probably was about a nine. It was about a nine for about 45 minutes until it finally started to slow down towards the tail end of that hour. It was truly incredible and an eye-opening experience of just how hard you actually need to train to hunt elk and how freaking prepared you need to actually be. You know what would have totally cured all of that, made so none of that happened, which I totally altered in the future? Electrolytes, which you can get in perfect little pouches to put in your water, a water filter because I could have topped up on water at the bottom of that creek and trekking poles, which would have probably decreased the amount of difficulty of that hill by definitely a quarter, probably a third easier. So all of those things combined would have made that whole experience much less difficult. But 
It was learning. It's my first elk hunt. Sometimes you got to go through these things by learning. And so on my following elk hunt the next year, I had trekking poles and I had electrolytes and a water filter. So this is the story of (laughs) my first few days prior and opening day of my successful 2020 Nevada bull elk hunt archery tag. So this was already a pretty long tale. I'm going to break this up into two podcasts. This is going to be part one. And then part two, another reason why I'm breaking it up is because I literally had to leave to go help my new employee, Viante, move into our house as well as me move into this house. I had to leave and go and start that the next day. So it was like kind of kind of fortuitous, like, dude, because I was hurting And I don't know how much I would have been able to actually hunt the next day, given how freaking insane that day was. My gosh, I mean, it was a lot. So fortunately, the next day, I was uh, able to uh, recover, (laughs) driving back to civilization, basically, and helping him get moved in. And I had a whole new view of what elk hunting is actually like. You know, I went through a decent amount of pain and suffering. This is good pain and suffering, by the way, self-inflicted. Like I went on one elk hunt, another friend of mine, and I went back the next year and did it again. So like, it's fun for me where my legs were cramping like this the first time. And we put many, many miles on our legs. But anyway, so I was able to head back to civilization, recover, refigure out my life, (laughs) and then head back out for the second half of my hunt, which I was successful at the back end of the season. So thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. I hope that story was pretty crazy because it was sure crazy to experience. (laughs) I need to get uh, cameras going and film these hunts uh, from now on. I'm probably going to do that on this upcoming one this year in 2022's archery elk hunt. I'm probably going to have some cameras rolling. So thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. If you thought this was awesome, share it with somebody. It was, uh, I think it was a good story. (laughs) And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast and give us an awesome five-star review. And if you liked it, share it on your socials. That would be super cool. I really appreciate it, guys. All right. This was Chris Starr with the Wildlife Command Center podcast. Part two of this is coming out soon. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great one. God bless. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Michael Baran, aka Bare Hands Baran. Make sure you go now to Discovery Plus, download our reality TV show, Bare Hands Rescue, where we are out there every day rescuing people from wild animals. It is entertaining, it is engaging, and it is informative. Download it today and listen for our next podcast.